Uh, We will be in chapter 3 today. We're going to be walking through verses 14 through 21. And the theme is uh, that we are heard. That's your identity in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are heard by God. How many of you uh, get really annoyed when you're talking to someone and they don't listen? Is that a pet peeve of anyone's? I think we all get frustrated uh, when we want to be heard, when we want to make our voice known, and we're talking to people and they don't listen. Whether it's your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, whoever you're dating, we have all been through it. Um, how do you respond to it? Uh, do you um, yell and just get louder to see if they will listen? Uh, do you give them the silent treatment and say, well, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm just going to stop talking. And you disengage. Those are two extremes. Um, do you question everything about the relationship? Sometimes when you're uh, with a spouse or, or a family and they're not listening, then you just pull back and say, why do I even try? Right? Sometimes uh, Silas, when he's trying to get uh, Tara or I's attention and, and we're busy, um, he will climb up in our laps and he will take our cheeks in his hands and align them our face with his face and he'll look in our eyes and he'll say, listen. And that's how he gets our attention. And we know, okay, it's time to listen. It's time to listen. Well, here's the good news. If you're a Christian, your basic identity, your guarantee, your promise is that you are heard by God. This is one of the beautiful things about Christianity. There's no in-between. There's no, well, sometimes um, God is willing to hear you and sometimes he's not. There's either God doesn't hear you if you're not in Christ. Um, you can talk to the wall. Obviously, in the biggest sense of, of, of the understanding of here, God, he knows what humans are doing, right? Nothing's outside of his control. But the relationship with God where you can count on him hearing you and talking to you, that's only through Christ. And so if your faith is in Christ, then God hears you. And that's really good news. It's really good news to know, especially if you read uh, Hebrews uh, 9, that Jesus isn't just at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now, but in the Old Testament, there was a temple. And this temple uh, on earth, there was a couple temples actually, but these temples, one after another, they represented or they were a type of a heavenly temple. And there was in there, this temple, a holy place. They called the Holy of Holies. And even the Jews who came, they did all that they could do um, to be right with God, and they brought sacrifices. They couldn't even come into this place. Only the high priest and only once a year. And this person was able to come with blood, Hebrews 9 says, and have access on one day to God. And the idea that through Christ, you and I have access to the holiest of holies every single day. When you make mistakes, when you're doing great, when you're somewhere in between. Because of the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on a cross 2,000 years ago, you have a greater access and ability to, to be intimate with the God of the universe in a way that no one on earth has ever known. That's what Christians get. They're heard by God. They have access to God. So Ephesians talks a lot about prayer. 
Matter of fact, over half of the book in these six chapters refers to prayer, either a prayer itself or in reference to prayer. It's a whole bunch of prayer. And the first three chapters are split from the second three or the last three chapters And that uh, most scholars would divide them this way. When it's talking about the first three chapters, they are uh, mostly knowledge, very theological, um, very important to understand these truths. And then the last three chapters, chapters four through six, which we'll get into after uh, the Christmas break, are very applicable. So this is what we need to know about God and who we are in God, chapters 1 through 3. And this is why it's going to change your life if you live these things out, chapters 4 through 6. So as we're walking through here tonight, I want you to ask yourself, analyze a little bit. How's my prayer life? If I know I'm heard by God and I have access to God through Jesus, how's my prayer life? You see, communication um, determines the health of any relationship, and a relationship with God is no different. Your spiritual health is dictated not by how much you know, not by how many times you've been to church in the last month, but your prayer life. If I was going to talk to um, a newlywed or if I was in premarital counseling, I would make it very clear um, one of the determining factors of how well this relationship will go or how healthy it is is how well you communicate. And all the married folks said, amen. We know that's true. If you don't communicate well, you don't have much of a relationship or you have an unhealthy relationship. So this is going to get very practical for you as we walk through these verses. Um, and, and here's my challenge and hope for you. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to give you an acronym. How many of you like acronyms? None of you. Okay, well, one of you. Well, this will be, this will be helpful uh, for Shauna and hopefully for the rest of you. We're going to spell out the word prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R. So six, um, six different times we're going to stop in these verses, and we're going to show you what prayer is. You could do this in several of the areas in the New Testament where Paul talks about prayer, um, and this is kind of a mainstream way of preaching this. But here's my hope and goal, and I want to challenge you this um, because I probably won't mention this at the end. Over Christmas break, Maybe it's tonight, maybe it's two weeks from now. My challenge for you is as I disciple you a little bit tonight, that you would take this and you'd be able to walk someone else. Maybe it's your child, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone you know who's not here tonight, and that you would walk through and say, here, let's look at prayer, and that you could be able to, in its most basic form, explain um, these six things we're going to talk about tonight. So this isn't exhaustive, but this is a good place to start. Let's jump in, verse 14. For this reason, you hear that over and over and over, Paul gives great theological truth and he says, for that reason, I bow my knee, knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's look at what it means to be heard. Here's what prayer is. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knee, personal, for the Father. 
Very first letter in this acronym, P. P is for personal. So prayer is personal. Paul says, I, not you, not we, I bow my knees. Because of these great theological truths that Jews and Gentiles, they are one in Christ. We are unified. We all can have access to God through Jesus. I bow my knee. Because I have access, I bow my knees. Now, here's what we've got to understand. This isn't just personal. This is hard. Paul's in jail. Some archaeologists have found what they believe would be first century, uh, first century jails, or um, in this case, house arrest, where um, it would be basically a hole, a small hole, um, where the, the person would be. Sometimes they would stack these um, on each other, and sometimes people, multiple people would have to be in the room together. The sewer uh, situation, probably not great. You can imagine dirt floors, um, not going to be great. Um, there, there's not going to be much space. There's not going to be much light. There's not going to be anything very comfortable in there. Not only that, but think about Paul. Paul was stoned. Not stoned as in high, stoned as in beaten. He, he later was shipwrecked. He went through all kinds of hardships. So for him to say, I bow my knees, like I'm getting down on my knees, maybe in his own waste and filth, maybe in the mud, Maybe just as an older man, finding it hard to bow down. It's not just a personal thing. It, it's a hard thing. Prayer is hard sometimes. Prayer is a choice. Prayer is a, a discipline. It's a pleasure. But you've got to choose to do it. And sometimes it's hard. How many of you have found that prayer can be hard? It's hard to sit down and pray. But Paul does it. Even though it's hard for him to physically bow, he does it because he loves God and he loves people. I remember early in ministry, uh, there's an older gentleman at the church plant in Utah who asked me to come to his house to visit him. And I hadn't done many home visits uh, at that point because I was brand new to, to full-time ministry. Um, but I was excited to come see him. And he lived in what had been on the side of the road out in the middle of the desert, um, an old dumpy hotel that at its peak would have still been dumpy. Like, even when it was brand new, you'd be like, oh, wow, they're building something across town. Wow, that's kind of dumpy already. Like before it's even finished, it just looks bad. And it had turned into some apartments. And I walked in thinking there's no way he could live here. Just the size of it from the outside, I thought there's no way this dude could live here. And I come in, and he's an older man. He was an old war vet. He was an old truck driver, and he was retired, and he um, 12 feet by 12 feet. There, this room, at best, was 12 feet by 12 feet. There, there was um, no refrigerator because he couldn't fit a refrigerator, so he sat on his refrigerator, which was uh, just a cooler, Matter of fact, when we would do outreach events and we would need, uh, we'd, do, we'd give out bottled water and stuff um, during the summer, he would let us use his cooler, which doubled as his sofa and refrigerator. Picture that. There, there was a toilet in the room, which was right next to his bed because it was just one open space. And the toilet was so small, it was like one of those kindergarten toilets. You ever see one of those? Like, you're like how do they even make these things? And no adult can use this. And he had to stack things on it just to fit stuff in his room. And we talked, and, and I heard his story, and, um, and I said, Richard, can I, can I pray for you? He said, yes, Pastor, I'd love to pray. And he pushed aside his stuff, and he got down on his knees, and I knew he'd had uh, one of his knees replaced, and the other knee wasn't in good shape. His body was broken after years of driving a truck, 
And he got down on his knees and I just heard him kind of pop and crinkle and crack as he got down. And I was just felt horrible for him. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I'm like, no, 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 we don't have to do this. But he got down and he says, oh God. And he prays a genuine heartfelt prayer. And as a young pup, I learned something that day. Prayer is hard for a lot of us. But it is, um, it's a discipline. And for some people, it's physically hard. And you don't have to pray um, bowing. You can pray standing. You can pray in church, out of church. You are the church. You can pray in your car. You can pray at home. You can pray with your eyes open, your eyes closed. You can pray in your heart. You can pray in your mind. You can pray out loud. You can pray as you journal. You can pray as you sing. Prayer comes in a lot of different ways. But for Paul, he's saying, I bow, even in this little jail cell. I bow my knees to the Father. You can tell a man's heart and his theology by the way he prays. Some of us, we view God um, and prayer in general as a transaction, kind of like a business. And so our prayers are oftentimes hollow. They're not heartfelt. We, we often pray um, about others, <laughs> but not necessarily for others. We pray maybe in general, but we don't pray specifically. And if that's you, then prayer isn't very personal. And Paul's saying, I know it's painful sometimes. You see, personal, this is a blessing, this is a pleasure, and it's a choice. You see, if you... um. If you don't talk to God, knowing that communication is key to a relationship, then you probably don't have much of a relationship. And some of us are famous for walking around saying, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, if the only way that God knew you was by the prayers that you prayed, would you have much to stand on? I am... over the years, have been known to mention uh, one of my relatives who is a wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, Jordy Nelson, and we grew up close to each other. We went to different schools, but we um, we uh, played against each other in sports once in a while, and we went to a family reunion a time or two, and I remember seeing him, bumping into him from time to time. Again, tiny little schools up north of Manhattan, you're going to bump into people, and uh, we knew each other. We were in the same grade, same everything, um, and, and so I felt like I, I knew him. And when he got a little bit famous, I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. You know someone who's famous? How many of you are related or or know someone who's halfway famous? And so I always thought in my mind, that's kind of cool that I know someone who's who's famous. And and then a couple years ago, now the last time I'd seen him was probably 10 years at least. And he's probably met a few people since then. But a few years ago, uh, Tara and I, we were home for our 4th of July celebration in our little hometown. And come walking down the street is this big dude who looks like he probably plays in the NFL. And I thought, well, that's, that's Jordy. And so him and his wife were walking down uh, by the church, and, and Tara and I were walking. And it was just us and them. There wasn't a bunch of people around. And I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he said, hi. But when he said hi, he looked like he'd never met me before. And Tara said, yeah, like he didn't even know you. And I thought... Well, maybe he doesn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe in my mind, I blew something up. 
yeah, we're, we're distant relatives, but like, I guess I really haven't talked to him that much. And he knows a lot of people. And I thought that we knew each other, but we, we don't. Is that you and Jesus? Are you used to telling people, yeah, I know Jesus is Lord and Savior, but you don't really talk to him and he doesn't really know you. Paul's saying this is a pleasure you get to. It's hard, it's a choice, it's discipline, but it's the core of every relationship. How's your prayer? It's personal. Verse 14 uh, mixed with verse 15. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Prayer is personal. And every family in heaven and on earth is named. So prayer is personal. And R, in this acronym, prayer is relational. So prayer is personal and prayer is relational. Two things we want to see here, family and father. That's what makes this relational. Let's talk about family first. Um, A church is a family, right? We say this all the time. But do we really believe it? Think about church in the West, in Western civilization. uh, America is what I'm talking about. Um, we often see church more like a business where the leaders are there to uh, provide religious goods and services, and therefore the congregation is uh, not just a congregation, but they are consumers, and, and, and therefore they are customers and critics. And if you don't provide the, the, best, um, the best quality of religious goods or services, they will leave that church and go to another church where they can get better goods and services. You say, that's not me, is it? Do you see this church as a family with its warts, with its pros, with its cons? Are you, are you invested in this family, whether it be Cross Point or any other church in town? You see, this is why some of us, um, we don't prioritize praying for the church and with the church is because we generally don't pray for businesses. <laughs> and we generally don't walk into Walmart and say, you know what, I'm just going to, before I get my groceries, stop by um, and see whoever is checking things out today. I'm going to go to the checker, the first one I see, and just pray, because that's what we do here, right? We're, I'm just going to pray for them. No, you don't do that. That'd be weird, right? It might be kind of cool. But for most of us, it might be kind of odd. Certainly for them, probably a little odd. And so we don't think about how important it is to pray for the church and the leaders and the people and pray with the church, with the leaders and the people, and we don't prioritize it because we haven't really ever looked at it as a family. In business relationships, you often try to get the most and at the same time give the least. But in a family, it's the opposite. You give all that you can, not for what you get in return, but so that everyone in the family is blessed. You have to be selfless to be part of a family. And it's the opposite of a self-serving business mindset. And we have two mindsets in the church. And Paul's saying, this is very relational. Prayer is relational because the church is ultimately a family. And so if we tend to pray for those that we love the most, family, then let me just encourage you, pray pray for Crosspoint. Pray for um, me. Pray for uh, the people sitting around me. Get to know the, for all of us. Um, invest in this family. Get to know the people. Um, you, you will find that you develop a heart and a love for people when you pray for people. 
And so serve with them, hear their story, get to know them, have dinner with them, invite them over, pour into them. Don't just think about it. Don't just show up to heaven's gate with lots of good intentions. But, but just do it. Tara and I have a, have a list of people we'd like to have supper with. And sometimes we schedule them like six weeks out because schedules are so crazy. But we just keep trucking and we just keep trucking. Because we want to sit with people. We want to hear people's stories. We want to pray for them. And we want to love them. And we want to be with them. We're a family. He says that we're a family and we're all united by this Father. So we come before the Father. And we've got to understand when it says that the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. The, the Greek for verse 15, it's kind of a little bit wonky. It doesn't mean that God is the father of all, even though God is the creator of all. Um, the, 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 what it means is, is that God is the, the first father, um, that he's the, the prototype for all other fathers. And so everything comes, um, any, any good father on earth is going to see him as the prototype and recognize that he is the first and he is the best father. It's a little bit difficult to translate, but that's essentially what he's saying. And so he's saying um, over and over and over in Ephesians, and I want to point it out once again, one of the primary themes is the Trinity. If you have ever struggled with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and seen how all of them come together, three in one, all one God, three persons, and you see, um, you, you see this concept in Christianity, but you don't see how it comes together, read Ephesians. And Paul talks a lot about it. And in these verses, not just 14 and 15, but later on, he talks about Jesus and he talks about the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important for us to understand because when we talk about the church being a family, we are um, seeing it first in God, that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they communicate, they talk to one another. And you see um, Jesus talking to the, the Father and, and, and through the Spirit, and you see communication between them. And since we, you and I, were created in the image of God, we naturally then are a family and we communicate with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is why trees don't pray. This is why animals don't pray. Because they, they weren't created in the image of God to communicate with God in that way. But we were. And so we see how, how should we communicate with God and of who God communicates within the Trinity. And so, so much of our understanding of who God is comes from how Jesus speaks about the Father. And when it comes to um, recognizing that God is a Father, you got to understand this is mind-blowing for those who would read this. Because in the Old Testament, the word Father in relation to God was only given to us about a dozen times. And in most of those instances, it was in relation to God being a Father over the nation Israel. So it wasn't even like a real personal, we're kids, he's our Father. That was a little bit kind of weird. And yet then Jesus shows up on earth. 2,000 years ago, and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 60 times, primarily in the Gospel of John, he refers to God as Father. And it redefines how we understand God completely. And, and, and so he says, Father, 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 Abba, Father. And then his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, how should we pray? And how does he say? Our judge who is in heaven. Our creator who is in heaven. No, our Father. So he says, this is how I pray, but this is how you should pray. 
And you got to understand this is so crucial. This is so crucial because God's saying your identity is that you are kids and I'm a father. And so, um, when you think of prayer, you got to understand if your primary view on God in heaven is that God is, um, a judge, then you will view prayer as punishment. And you'll feel guilty and you should do it. If you see God as uh, some distant landlord, you will see prayer as spiritual maintenance, not a pleasure. It'll lack joy. But if you see God as a father, you will see prayer as a conversation. And it will become much more natural. See, when we pray to the Trinity, some people say, well, who do I even pray to? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Well, the truth is you can pray to any of them. But biblically, if you were going to see, well, specifically, if, is there any, any clear direction here? We technically pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us desire to pray and helps us pray, as Romans 8 says. Even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. And we have access to the Father through the Son. And so this is why we say, and we pray in whose name? Jesus' name. But this is why we also address our Father, because we're praying to the Father. It's okay sometimes um, to pray to Jesus, say, Jesus, thank you for being Lord. To, to pray the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit dwells in you, teaches you, guides you, comforts you, directs you, gives you gifts. To say, Spirit, help me to understand. Give me wisdom. Guide me, lead me. You can't, you can't mess it up. They all get the message. But to recognize that God's a father changes the way that we pray. Some of us, when we think about prayer, we think, well, I want to learn how to pray. So I'm going to go to the most religious, devout people. And some of you, if you grew up in a Catholic church, or maybe you grew up in a Lutheran, Methodist, very, uh, what we'd call liturgical churches, where they had um, prayers uh, that were um, kind of laid out for you, then prayer was hollow in many cases for you. And it was more about memorizing what you should say than just pouring out your heart to God. And to recognize um, that the best way to understand how to pray probably isn't to go to the most devout people, but to see how good kids interact with their good fathers is crucial because that's probably more of an indicator as to how we should pray. You ever seen a kid who loves their father run up and talk to their father? And they embrace their father and they are happy that their father is home and they talk to their father about silly things and serious things and um, uh, simple things and difficult things. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And all of a sudden prayer makes sense. I would say if you could tell anyone, if you were discipling anyone and they ask about prayer and they say, what's the most important thing I could know about prayer? I would probably tell you, if you could only say one thing, tell them that God is a father. Tell them that God's a father. Some of us, um, we hear that and we say, well, that's the problem. Because my dad on earth, I didn't know, or I didn't like, or is a jerk. This is also very important to note. Because our God is a father, and we as dads on earth, are, and even moms, we are um, 
We are given an opportunity to reflect a good father in heaven by the way we interact with our children on earth. We have a great responsibility. And you got to know if you had a bad father on earth, that, that you can't judge a heavenly father by your earthly father, but you have to judge your earthly father by your heavenly father. And you have to know that he says he's perfect and that he's good, even if you didn't experience a good and perfect father on earth. And we know no father on earth is going to be perfect. And if you're a dad here, recognize everything in a culture that has lots of daddy issues. Lots of daddy issues. Where young men will come into my office on a regular basis and have no clue how to be a man because no one ever showed them. And young women will come in on a regular basis and not know who they are and how valuable they are because no one ever told them. And we've got daddy issues, daddy issues, daddy issues. If you're a dad, please understand everything you do will ultimately mold the way that your children view God in heaven. You say, I'm not God. See, recognize though the power of your position. We will project onto God what we experience in spiritual authority here on earth. So if people has a, have a bad experience with a pastor or a priest or a mom or a dad or anyone who holds a little bit of authority, they'll say that's probably what God's like. If you, um, when you leave here tonight, don't focus on prayer. Right? Focus on the Father and recognize that you're a child. And prayer will come natural. Verse 16 and 17. We'll move a little bit quicker through the rest of these. Verse 16 says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ, so Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love... We'll stop right there. A is for asking. So prayer is personal, prayer is relational, and prayer is asking. So, verse 16, he says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. This is, this is, this is the bottom line. He's saying, God has everything we need. God is self-sufficient, but we're dependent God has everything and he needs nothing. We have nothing and we need everything from him. So we recognize both believers and non-believers alike, any provision they have in their life, we call this common grace that God has given to them. We all lack and God gives us. This is important for us to understand because sometimes we feel bad when we come to God and we ask for things. But we've got to understand, just like my little boy who's four, I know he can't really do anything for himself. When he asks me, I'm pretty much his only hope <laughs> for anything. God sees us and he knows that we got no hope. And the, the only question is, are we going to ask him when we have needs? We're going to ask him when we have wants. And again, if you go back to the understanding that God is a father, sometimes he just wants to bless you. Sometimes he, he, just, he just wants to treat you. Sometimes he wants to discipline you. Sometimes he wants to teach you. There's so many different things that a father does. 
But God expects us to come to him. So let me ask you two questions based on these verses. Number one, are you asking? So God's got everything. It says to the riches of his glory. He's got everything and we've got needs. He expects us to ask him that he may grant you. So Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but through everything, with thanksgiving, or in, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and he will give you peace that transcends all understanding. We've got to actually ask him. Are you asking him? Some of us, um, even, even the more that we follow Jesus, we, we kind of leave this part out. We don't actually ask him for stuff. We just say, yeah, he knows. Yeah, he knows. And if you look at your daily life and you say, am I actually asking? Am I talking to God? Knowing he already knows your thoughts, he can read your heart. Am I actually asking him? Again, I know that Silas has needs. And I'm wondering, is he going to ask me for things? Is he going to talk to me? As a father, I want him to talk to me because I value communication and provision over just provision. And you say, why? Because it's the very heartbeat of a relationship. What I'm really saying is, as a father, I value being with someone and not just doing for someone. Sometimes you don't ask for things and God gives them to you. He's a father. But he loves it when you come to him and ask him because he cares about being with you and not just doing for you. Sometimes we get tired of asking, so we don't ask anymore. And we say, well, I do ask him, but he just doesn't answer. Well, there could be several responses to that, but one (laughs) would be he does answer. He always answers. If your faith is in Christ and his life, death, resurrection, God's going to answer you. But here's the three possibilities. Yes, no, or later. And he he sometimes um, leaves you hanging because the answer is later. Other question I'd ask you is what are you asking? What are you asking? He says that he may be strengthened with power. There's four things in verses 16 through 19, that Paul asks in this prayer. This is the heartbeat of his prayer. He's asking for four things for the the Ephesian believers. He's saying, "I, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being. I want you to have a deeper faith. I want you to have an abundant love. And I want you to have the fullness of God. Those are the four things he mentions. But but I, I would I would ask you, what are you actually praying for? Some of us, we don't hear yes very often in our prayers because we're not praying according to God's will. We're praying according to our will. And in James chapter 4, James says, you should pray, but pray if it's your will, Father. The more you mature in Christ, the more you you realize um, that even your prayers align with the will of God. At least that's the hope. That's what maturity looks like. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This isn't, hey, when times are tough, just get it together. This isn't strap your bootstraps on. This is, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you that God's Holy Spirit does a work in your heart in only a way that only God can do. Like, like if you know someone who's far from God and they don't, they don't know him at all, you're like, I'm just praying that God would work, that Holy Spirit, that you would draw them in, that you would draw them in. Of course, Paul's talking to believers. He's saying, 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that, that you see daily, um, uh, even incremental steps where you see God's working in your heart and you start to respond. You're like, I think God's showing me something. I think God's talking to me. I think, I think something's happening. And the spirit inside of you is moving you. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, here, here's, here's an important verse, and there's a little bit of a sidestep, but I've got to take it. Um, how many of you have desired that your loved ones would pray that prayer? You know, the, the prayer in the evangelical world that is, will you place your faith in Jesus and ask him into your heart? But we don't really see that prayer anywhere in the Bible. And the issue with that prayer isn't that it's theologically incorrect because Christ dwelling in our hearts is correct. The issue with the prayer is that it kind of shortchanges the gospel. The gospel is a great exchange where we receive God's grace and his mercy, but we give our lives to him. This is the Savior. He's saving us. We receive that salvation. It's free. But Lord part is where we say, all right, I'm yours. Do what you want with me now. And so to tell someone, hey, all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart, misses kind of half of it, right? At least. And so that's why um, sometimes folks can be critical, particularly pastors who have unfortunately led people down that path and then wonder why they don't actually follow Jesus. It's because we didn't ask them to follow Jesus. We just asked them to receive Jesus in their hearts. But remember, Paul's talking to Christians. So what he's saying is that Jesus would make his home in your heart. There was a guy, um, a guy, Robert Munger, and in 1954, he wrote a book uh, called, um, uh, I believe it was called Our Heart, Christ's Home. And this idea that uh, for believers, uh, we should pray and, and hope that Jesus does a work in our hearts, not because we're a hotel room, but because we're a home. And he's going from room to room, and he's cleaning house, and he's doing a work in our hearts, Do you pray that? Do you pray that for your kids? Do you pray that for people you love? Do you pray that for yourself? That God would do a powerful work in your heart. Of course, being rooted and grounded in love. Do you pray that that your kids, that your family, that your friends, that they would love God, that they would love people? That they would understand the love of God? What are you asking? What are you asking? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, now verse 18 through 19, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why? So prayer is yearning. Prayer is personal, prayer is relational, prayer is asking, and prayer is yearning. You ever, you ever just wanted to, to say something to God, to communicate something to God in a time of stress, in a time of joy, that you just, you just felt like words can't even express? You're just like, oh, I, just, I got something on my heart, on my chest, it's heavy, and, and I just want to give it to you, God, but I don't even know how to say all that I'm feeling right now. Never felt that way? You ever just yearned? You wanted to, you wanted to connect with God? You wanted to... Oh, you're just passionate. Prayer is yearning. These four things that that Paul is saying here, he's praying for the Ephesians. I picture praying this for, again, my kids, my spouse, my coworkers, my neighborhood. 
just a passion. Like, I want them to know the love of Jesus. I want them to, to, to have a knowledge that surpasses every kind of understand. I want them, I want them to just be rooted in love. I, I don't want them to have false motivations. I want them to have an inner strength. I want God to work in their heart like only God can. You're just, you're just praying your heart for people. Sometimes that's the best kind of prayer. It's when you say, God, what is the most important stuff that I can pray for someone? Some of us, we shortchange our prayers a lot. And part of it's because we grow up in homes where this is the type of prayer that we hear. And other times it's just that we don't, we just don't know what to pray. But you pray with some folks and they'll, they'll say, uh, God, uh, we just thank you for this day. And they'll go through the typical evangelical thing. They'll say, thank you for the weather, especially if you're praying with farmers, right? And they've got legit reason too, right? Um, uh, thank you for the rain. Thank you for my family. And then they'll pray maybe for safety. That's a good prayer. If you pray that prayer, that's a good prayer. I encourage you though, go even deeper. You've got access to God. You can pray for anything. Let your heart just pour out. Pray the things that only God can do. I would encourage you with this as well. Sometimes um, if you find yourself wondering why you don't desire to pray more, because we've all been there. We're like, I don't even really desire to pray. I don't really have much of a yearning at all. <laughs> um, if, it, if there's a burning in there, it's, it's just Taco Bell from the night before. I don't really yearn. That's legit. Sometimes we all feel that way. Sometimes you feel that way all the time. And I used to feel bad for taking this route, but I, I don't anymore. Because you say, what do you do for someone who's, who's not yearning? Well, ultimately, um, what's going to help them to yearn for God is the Holy Spirit and the cross. Those are the only two things that I've ever understood to really help you to desire God, to want God, is the Holy Spirit drawing you in and empowering you and giving you faith and giving you desire. And then the cross as it blows you away and you realize the gospel. And so how do you learn about the Holy Spirit and about the cross? The Bible. And so here's my encouragement to you. And I used to feel bad for having people do this, but if they don't have the desire to pray or even the desire to to really yearn for God, I, I would say, well, why don't you just be disciplined first and just get into God's word? And, and to just pray, even when you don't feel like it. And oftentimes you'll have breakthroughs. I do it in my own life where I'll be praying. I'm like, I don't hear, I don't hear, I don't want to pray. I don't even feel like praying. And then boom, I'll break through and I'll start to, to, to see God's power and I'll start to, to be filled with his spirit. And it's like cracking something open. And, and you're like, wow, I can't believe five minutes ago I even felt so dead spiritually. And now I just have this joy. And, 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 and if you're going to learn about the Holy Spirit and the cross, it's in the word of God. So just have them in the word of God, walk them through the word of God. They got to be in the word of God. Sometimes the yearning follows the discipline. I would say this before we move on to the fifth one though. Um, 
if you want to know what your life looks like, uh, if you are yearning, if you want to get something off your chest, if you, if, you, if you desire talking to God, but you're not actually talking to God. So if you're yearning without praying, it's going to look like a couple things. Um, not limited to, but I would say grumbling and gossip. Because ultimately, grumbling is when you've got yearning that leaks <laughs> and you keep it within yourself. When you know you need to be going to God with something, but you don't go to God with it, you just keep it within your own heart. And you find yourself, eh, man, I'm just tired of my circumstances and I'm tired of this and I can't believe they did that and I got this going on. You just kind of grumble. And gossiping is when you're yearning and you know you need to be taking something to God, but you're not actually taking it to God and so you're taking it to other people. And you got to, let me encourage you to, to let God, let God be your, your lightning rod. Storm or not, let God be your lightning rod in the sense that um, you go to him first. What does a lightning rod do? A lightning rod sticks up so that when the lightning strikes, it gets hit and other people and you don't get hit. And for the sake of the damage in your life regarding um, you um, grumbling and feeling the pain of grumbling or even the other people in your life, go to God first. Make sure that, that if you've got yearning, you actually take it to God. Otherwise, you'll be grumbling and you'll be gossiping and you'll say, oh, what's going on? And God's saying, you just, you got a desire. It's just misdirected right now. It happens. It happens to all of us. Verse 20. Now to him. Now to him. Everything. This is not American Christianity. Everything is just God-centered, Christ-centered. It's just, I just love, um, I love the Bible. I particularly love how Paul speaks here. Now to him, in case we got off on ourselves a little too much there, like we were talking about ourselves a little too much. No, like, it's just always about God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Ask or think according to the power at work within us. E, prayer is expectant. Prayer is expectant. So to ask requires obedience, but to expect requires confidence. To ask God for something means you believe that God can. To expect means that you believe God wants to and will. Kind of a whole other level of boldness. See, God is able to do so much more than you and I can even ask or think. That this should put us in a place of expect. Because if we know he can do, here's the key for these, this verse. If we know he can do way more than we could ever imagine. And the reason we know that is because his spirit's at work within us. And so there's evidence that he's actually doing it in us. And that's why we know he can do so much. Then we should expect. If you just had this, but you never experienced this, then it'd be hard to be confident. If you just, hey, there's a God out there and I believe he's incredibly powerful, just haven't seen it in my own life, it'd be hard to be confident. If you saw some transformation, but you didn't really know that God was amazing and all-powerful, 
then you'd be like, yeah, this is a cool thing he's doing in me. But I'm not going to pray that like the whole world would get saved because that's kind of asking too much, right? But when you know both of these, that God is doing a work in me and it's huge and I know he's capable of doing it in everybody, it changes the way you pray. It changes the way that you pray. See, here, here's the bottom line. You and I, um, we're humans, right? And humans always need transformation until the day we die. Maturity in the faith is that our lives reflect Jesus more each and every day, and they reflect our old sinful selves each and every, and they don't reflect our, our old sinful selves like they used to. That we become more like Jesus and less like who we once were. And so if only, if we need transformation and only God can transform, um, the work isn't done, I think it's okay for you to expect progress. Let me ask you this. Do you pray? Um, this, is, this is important for you. Do you pray prayers um, that demand that God moves? I'm not telling you that we should pray prayers that say, God, you better do this. But the kind of prayer that if God doesn't, move, if he doesn't work in power, then it's a very clear, like, man, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. Some of us, we pray um, prayers that, that if God didn't show up, nothing would really change. Well, God, uh, just help me through the day. And for us that are real spiritual, we know, man, God is helping through the day. But at the same time, if the world outside was watching, they say, what'd you pray today to your God who can do anything? Well, I just prayed that he would, um, you know, help me to uh, get through the day. That's it? And they say, well, there's no evidence that God is in that. Sounds like you're probably just going to get through your day either way. We say, no, 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 God was in that, right? Because we know, and he is. But like, are we praying prayers that, that if God moves and he has to move, that people will be like, yep, that's obviously God. No human reasoning could believe that that was something that man did? Are your prayers man-sized or are they God-sized? You hate to be cliche, but at the same time, there's some truth to that. This past Sunday, I remember um, as we were talking about the building stuff Sunday night at the, the family meeting, we, I, just, I just opened it up by saying, you know what, when we started this thing eight years ago, I remember thinking to myself, like this is how incredibly... Um, <laughs> This is how how much vision I had. I remember thinking, I bet this church could probably reach like two, three hundred people, and it's heyday. Like that was the cap in my mind. I just thought, yeah, probably not. This whole multi-site thing's weird. Tons of people are going to see it and be like, nope. Somehow, we think that's unbiblical. We hate it. And then when I got a call a few years later, after I'd gone and planted some churches, and, and we already had 225 people, like five years in, like, you want to come back and lead this thing? I'm thinking, who am I to lead this thing? I thought there'd only be 200 max. God's already done more of a work than I ever would have imagined. That's why I love being a part of a church. I love, I love being a part of any church because you can be family with any believer. But I love when, when vision is God-sized and not man-sized. And when we say that our vision is to reach 10% of the city, partnering with the other churches to reach the other 90%, like that's something that we know we can't do that 
I know who we are behind the scenes. I know our inadequacies. We can't structure it. We can't manipulate it. We couldn't, we could not. And we can't save anyone. We can't change anyone. Like we can't pull anyone in. Like we can't do any of it. But I love it because your prayers have to match that kind of vision. So as a church, do we pray that way? Do we pray expecting that God's going to reach this whole city? Do you expect God to move? Last but not least, verse 21. To him, that's God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Or the last of these six letters. Prayer is revealing. Prayer is revealing. So prayer is personal. Prayer is relational. Prayer is asking. Prayer is yearning. Prayer is expectant. And prayer is revealing. So he says to him be the glory. And in two modes. So 275 times in the Bible, roughly, uh, the word glory is mentioned. This is a mega theme of the Bible, that our whole existence, humanity was created to bring God glory. And what is glory? Glory is radiance, it's splendor, it's beauty, it's majesty. And so we've got a unique job because Paul is saying to him, to God be the glory. And he, and he mentions two people or two groups, the church and Jesus. Now Colossians 1 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you and I are created in the image, meaning we can reflect God's glory. But Jesus is God's glory. In the sense that he's, he's God. And God has glorified himself in no greater way than the cross. And so Paul says, y'all got a job. Again, the church, this prayer thing, this can't just be personal. This has to be corporate. You can't, you can't say, I've got, if you're kids, if some of you got, you got more than one kid, if if your children come up to you and say, you know what, I've got a personal relationship with you, mom or dad, but I don't with my siblings, you'd be like, that's not how family works. And so when this whole context of this whole verse is about prayer, he's saying, give God glory through prayer and the way that we pray and the things that we pray. The church, that's our job. And people in the church are going to see God move in power when we pray throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's plan. This is it. Plan A is Jesus. Plan A, B is us reflecting the gospel. That's how God gets glory. Um, let me just break this down for you as we come to a close. For you to bring God glory in your, your prayers, you've got to understand prayer is a mode. Um, it, it's, an, it's an avenue. Uh, it's an environment where you humble yourself and surrender and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to approach prayer with this big question. God, what will bring you the most glory? And so the way that the church is going to bring God glory in prayer is that we align ourselves not with what brings us glory. 
what furthers our plan in life, whatever accomplishes our dreams, but, but that we do what he wants, what accomplishes his will, his plan, his goals. It's not about getting what we want from God. Glorifying him is us giving him what he asks for. Doing what he says. So if you want to be a church that glorifies God in the way that we pray, pray, the best prayer you can pray, Father, your will be done. And when you're making decisions and you're asking God for things in prayer, say, God, what is going to glorify you? What's going to glorify you? Um, when Tara and I first moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, when I was finishing up some school, uh, she had come from um, several nursing jobs that she'd had in Kansas City, Hutchinson, Salina when we were here. So she had some experience and she had uh, three job offers within like a week when she was in Lynchburg. And each one of these was different. There was um, every end of the, the spectrum was represented. One job was her dream job. Great pay in a great um, facility with great hours and she was going to be doing what she really wanted to do. So this was kind of the no-brainer. You just need to take that job. Uh, But then there was another one that was exactly what she was doing here. Great pay, great facilities, but she would at least be familiar with it. So if you want a little more comfortable, you could take that. And then there was another one, one that was way out here. It was the weird uncle of the job offers. It had the least pay in horrible facilities on the wrong side of the tracks, and it was something she didn't want to do. She had no desire to do it. She never pictured her in that nursing field. And so we had to make a decision. What are you going to do? And as we prayed, she prayed with this heart. God, what's going to bring you the most glory? Not not what I want, because that's a no-brainer. God, what's going to bring you the most glory? In this case, the one on the wrong side of the tracks was one where she would have probably more influence in people's lives and to be able to impact them for Jesus than she would in the other two environments. It was a slower pace. It was, it was more of a long-term care thing and not just people in and out of the hospital. And so she took that. And she hated it most every day. But she also loved it because we knew We would rather be in the middle of God's will and experience pain on earth and discomfort on earth than to do whatever we think is right or good in life and know that it's a million miles away from the will of God. And if you gave her the same chance to choose in those three jobs again, I guarantee you, even with how it played out, she'd say, I'm taking the same one. Because if you ask yourself this question, and I'll just leave leave it at this, When you pray, God, what's going to bring you the most glory? Not me, but you. That answer is going to probably look a lot different than whatever your answer would be for your own life. But it will be the right answer every single time. Let's pray.